0: I want to speak to you this morning about the journey to spiritual maturity, the journey to spiritual maturity. You know, it's kind of like um, we pray for a person and we long for them to be saved. Uh, We witness to them and then they come to know Jesus and we say, man, they're saved They're going to go to heaven. They're not going to go to hell. But you realize that being born again, being saved, becoming a new creation in Christ, is just the beginning. Just the beginning. We go from being, quote, baby Christians. I trust to go up to be spiritually mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a journey that you'll be taking as long as you're on this earth. You never arrive at the place where you say, well, I've grown to be as spiritually mature as I can. By the way, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. I know people who've been saved two years that are much more spiritually mature than people that have been saved 30 years. And so you need to understand That once Christ comes to live in your life, that you are on a glorious journey of growing into the likeness of Christ and to be a mature, mature follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, in Galatians 4.19, the Galatian Christians had been saved, but they just were not growing and they were confused. And I want you to look at what Paul's burden was for them. He said, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again. Now get this, until Christ is formed in you. He said, I labored and prayed and fasted until you got saved. But now, here I am and on a journey with you and you're confused. You're not growing the way you should. He said, it's almost like I'm in labor again until you grow up to be just like Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a passage in 2 Peter that talks about, now, th- this is such a very important passage, about how we're not to be barren as children of God. Well, your brother friend, I got saved when I was 12, thank God. Got baptized I've been coming to church faithfully. I read my Bible and I pray. I, I'm, that's, that, that's a part of the journey. But I need to ask you the question How are you, in you as far as your spiritual maturity is concerned? How far are you as others seeing Christ in your life? Not that you get up today and say, Well, I'm going to be like Jesus. But because Christ lives in you as you go about your daily activities. Your life reveals Christ, and they see Jesus in you. And I'll tell you, uh, a, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. And when they see Jesus living through you the way you love, the way you forgive, the way you help, the way you encourage, and the way you say yes uh, to righteousness and no to evil, when they see you living a life that reveals Christ, man. They say, I don't know what you've got, but I want that. Well, look at this passage. And notice what Peter said. As his divine power, now get this, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You say, well, Brother Fred, I just don't have the wisdom, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the power to be a mature Christian. No, you just need to read what that verse says. His divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. As we get to know the Father, as we get to know Jesus. Then we realize that we have all the divine power that, uh, with all things that pertain to godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. And then Peter goes on, and he's talking about now, Growing up in Christ, it says in verse 4, God's promised you that he'll give you the grace to grow up and to be spiritually mature. He's promised you that. By which have been given to us, these are your promises if you're saved. God gave these promises to you. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these You may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, wait a minute. God has not only given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but he goes on and says here that he's given us promises that we we, we become partakers. We become a new creation in Christ, a new creation in Christ. We were an old creation in Adam. That was a partaker of the nature of Adam. But as we get saved... We are a new creation in Christ. And we become partakers of the divine nature. By which been given to us exceeding the great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The very nature of Christ. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he challenges. Look, look at the next verse. For this very reason. Give all diligence. Now, he tells you how to grow up spiritually. Look what he says. For this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith. Now, add to your faith the virtue. And then add to your virtue knowledge. And he goes on and says, now add to your knowledge self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. Now, I want us to go back and do, do verse 5 and 6 again. He said, Look, now you're saved, but I want you to add all these things to your life. He says, Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge. Then he goes on and says uh, in verse 6, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. He said, I want you to grow. I want to see spiritual maturity in your life. I don't want you to, no longer, I don't want, you to want to be a baby any longer, just blown around by everything the world has. And then he goes on in verse 7. To 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 godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add love. And he goes on and says that this is what you've got to get. He said, if this is in your life, you won't be barren. You will not be barren. And you know there are, are Christians who are not as fruitful as God wants them to be because they have never grown to spiritual maturity. For if all these things are yours and abound you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to admit, over the years, I've known a lot of church members who seem to be barren and unfruitful in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're good people, but it seemed like they never got a hold of what it was to be to be so controlled by Jesus and to so allow Him to impart His righteousness and holiness in us that they just kept on struggling, kept on doing the best they could. Today, let, let me share with you three things on this journey to spiritual maturity. Now, if, you, if, if you've been to Luke 4.18 for a while, or if you attended Cottage Hill for years when I was there, you know, you know these things. But it's not a matter of knowing them. It's a matter of them being a part of your life. See, you can know something, and it won't affect you one bit. But if you really know something, and it becomes a part of your life, it affects everything you are and everything you do. You see, we want, we want somebody to tell us, well, tell me something new that will help me to, to live the Christian life. What, what, what's, why do you need something new? You need to do something with what you already know. Well, isn't there a shortcut, Brother Fred, to being a full grown follower of Jesus? Isn't there a shortcut to being spiritually mature? No, absolutely not. Until you get the basics, the very basic things that are, in, that are involved in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll never grow. So you've got to get the basics. Then you can move on to uh, other things, but if you hadn't got the three basics, you're not ever going to go on beyond that. You know, I used to get aggravated when I was in high school, and uh, I, I played football. I, I wasn't any good, but I had a good time. But I remember we'd go out to practice, and they had this tackling dummy. And we just, he said, now, we're going to spend an hour just going, tackling that dummy. Well, I've tackled some dummies in my life. But wait a minute, no, I'm not going to, no. I don't know what made me think of that. <laughs> Lord have mercy. But anyway, so I, we, I, we just kept, and then he said, now we gonna go over here and got, we got this blocking sled. And so we tackled dummies and blocked the blocking sled. I said, come on, man. Let's get on with it. Let's have a scrimmage. Let's hit each other. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. <coughs> Are you listening to me? He said, coach said, you, you can't play a game if you don't know how to block. And you can't play a game if you don't know how to tackle. If you don't know the basics, what's the use you having a scrimmage? You never would be effective. So I, I'm just telling you, we're just going to block some dummies. No, anyway, let's let's look at this today. I want you to listen to me. Here's the first thing: If you're going to grow spiritually, you have to learn. And this is going to shock you a little bit, but it shouldn't. You're going to have to learn in your Christian life to deal thoroughly with sin. Now, when and 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 you see we kind of get the idea that we get saved and, 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 you know, we're not ever going to sin again. It takes about two hours to realize that that's not true. Let me say this. When we get saved, the power of our sinful nature is broken. And where we were alive to sin before we got saved, once we're saved, we're dead to sin. So, the power of our sinful nature has been broken. We do not have to sin. And where we were alive to sinfulness, alive to sin, now we are dead to sin. But it's still the reality that at times we make wrong choices, we get in the flesh, old patterns in our life rise up, and we sin. And, and the Bible says, by the way, in, in 1 John, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So, but if a Christian does not know how to deal with sin in their life, they're never going to grow into spiritual maturity. Now, here's the first thing I want you to realize. Every one of our sins has been fully paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he took all the sins of every person that would ever be lived. And all the sins of every person that would ever be lived, would ever live, was placed on Jesus. And so he died for our sins. And I want you to get a a look at two verses that really, really will help you to understand. Well, you say, Brother Fred, if Jesus died for my sins, when I get saved, I'm forgiven. Well, then why do I have to deal with the sin that's in my life later? I'm going to tell you about that. Look at what it says here about how he took care of our sin. See, some of you live in guilt because of your past sins. If you're saved, your past sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus, and you're righteous. So you can let the devil condemn you, and he will. You can let him accuse you, and he will. But you're just believing a lie, because if you're in Jesus Christ, every one of your sins has been paid in full by the Son of God. Now, you had to receive that sacrifice, and as you received it, your sins were gone. And he remembers them no more. In Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And you, that's you and me, being dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he has made alive, he made us alive, together with him, having forgiven, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And you go on to the next verse. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way. Now get this, and he nailed it to the cross. So here you are, you're lost. And there's a handwriting of ordinances against you. Sin 1, sin 2, sin 3, this is for you got saved. Sin 100, sin 200, sin five. There was a handwriting against you all your sins that you'd ever committed, there was a handwriting of ordinances against you. But Jesus took that on himself, and he took it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. And the word there it, 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 that is used in Jesus forgiving us is he canceled the debt. That's what it means in Colossians. Jesus, had here, all, here was our debt, all of our sins. Wow. We owe for those The wages of sin is death. But Jesus took our sin and he paid the debt on the cross. We were paid for, not by corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So he takes all of our sins out of the way. He nails them to the cross. They're forever under the blood of Jesus, and you are forgiven. Now, that means that as a forgiven person, you have a relationship with God. A relationship. See, I'm going to talk to you about your relationship and then your fellowship. And there's all the difference in the world. If you are saved, you have an eternal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. So you have a relationship that can never be broken. All right? In First John uh, uh, chapter. Um, 3 verses 1 through 3. All right. Do you realize that if you're saved, if you've repented of your sins, had a godly sorrow, and turned away from your sin, and uh, have forgiveness, and Christ lives in you, listen to what it says about you. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. I am amazed that you and I, who were once the children of the of the devil, in the kingdom of darkness, through the redeeming sacrifice and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Father's love that He bestowed on us, He took us out of darkness into light, He took us out of the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of God, and He became our Father. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called. The children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us. They don't understand us. Because it did not know him. Now I want you to look at this next verse. It says, Beloved, now you're the children of God. Man, that, that's awesome. As I come here this morning, and as you sit here this morning, if Jesus Christ lives in you, you are a child of God. Beloved, now Are we the children of God? Right now. Well, I'm going to be a child of God when I get to heaven. No, you're a child of God right now. That's why God expects you to live like a child of God on this earth. Not to be barren or unfruitful. Behold, now are we children of God. It has not been revealed what we shall be when we get to heaven. But we know when he is revealed, when Jesus comes, we're going to be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. All right. Number one, you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You are God's child if you're saved. And nothing can break it. Nothing can break that relationship. Not one thing. It's eternal. When Christ came to live in you and he took your sins and nailed them to the cross, I'm telling you, if you're saved, you have an eternal relationship with God and nothing can break it. However... We have to stay in fellowship with God. We have to have fellowship with God. And the only thing, nothing can break our relationship with God, but sin in the life of a believer breaks our fellowship with God. Have you you ever heard people say, well, I, I believe she's saved, but she's out of fellowship with the Lord. Or I believe he's saved, but he's out of fellowship with the Lord. Well, how do you say that? Well, just look at their lifestyle. They say they're saved, but but they sure aren't in fellowship if they are. And so the whole deal about a Christian dealing thoroughly with sin is not that we need to be saved, but we need to be in fellowship. And I'm telling you the most important thing in your life every day as you get up and begin the day that you know that you're in fellowship with God, that the Holy Spirit is not grieved The Holy Spirit is not quenched. There's no unconfessed sin in your life, and you're in a position of you are in fellowship with God. Now, there are some powerful verses that talk about that. In the book of 1 John, chapter uh, 1, I want you to notice this. Now, he's talking about this, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Then he goes on and says, now listen to this. If we say, well, I have fellowship with him, but you're walking in darkness, you're lying. And you're not practicing the truth. Doesn't say anything about your relationship, but about your fellowship. If we say, well, I've got fellowship, I'm in fellowship, I'm saved, and you're walking in darkness, you're lying. He says, look at the next verse. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, the Father's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with the Father, fellowship with Jesus Christ, fellowship with each other. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Listen to this. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's kind of like this is in the continuous tense. If we keep on walking in the light as he is in the light, we continue to have fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us from all sin. I thought you said Brother Freddy did it once and for all. He did, but I'll explain that to you in a second. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All right, we'll go on. If we confess our sins, okay. Now all your sins have been forgiven. All your sins are washed away. All your sins are under the blood of Jesus. In the new covenant, he remembers them no more. So what is this deal? That now, if we're going to be in fellowship, we have to confess our sin. Here it is. The word confess means to agree with God. To agree with God. So here I am. I'm walking along. I'm, I'm a child of God. You're walking along. You're a child of God. You've got a relationship with him. You know that if you died today, you would not spend a, a Christless eternity in hell. You know if you died today, you'd go to be with Jesus in heaven. So you've got a relationship. But you're walking in fellowship with him. But I, but I um, okay, I'm talking to somebody, and I say something critical, unkind, maybe true, could be untrue about that person. To another person. Well, the conversation's over. And so I'm going on about He said, You know, you know what you just did? You, you spoke critically, unkind about that person? You, you just sinned. The Bible says, Speak evil of no man. The Bible says, Be kind one to another. Uh, do nothing to hurt a brother. You just sinned. Now you're going to do one or two things. You were God's child. You're going to say, Lord, you're right. I agree with you that that is a sin. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. And I choose not to do that anymore. See, what you did there to confess uh, it, confessing sin as a Christian means that whatever you do that is not right, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you, even though all of your sins have been paid for. And you're going to have to agree with God and I, when he convicts you and be cleansed, are you going to disagree with God and you 're going to rebel and you are in big trouble because when a Christian disagrees with God all right, for example, if I had said when the Holy Spirit convicted me, well listen I, I know I said something critical about him, I know I said something that that that, that, that about him as a person I know that, but i don 't think it was wrong. it was true. He says, you, it was wrong. It was a sin. But you don't understand. I, you don't know him like I know him. <laughs> Let me tell you one thing. You never win an argument with the Holy Spirit. Never. <laughs> I have tried to justify my sin so many times that I, <laughs> listen, when God puts his finger on something in my life, immediately, immediately as a Christian you say, God, I agree with you. That is a sin. I don't want that in my life. And he says, Now listen to this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us from all sin. But there's a great verse uh, in in, in chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to look at it. This will encourage you. You say, Well, I don't believe Christians ever sin. Well, you live in a different world than I live, okay? Look at what he says Do we have to sin? no. If we are saved, is the desire and passion of our life to sin, no. But we are tempted. And so John says now, my little children, listen to what he says, I write this to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing to you in 1 John so that you won't sin. I don't want anything to break your fellowship with God. I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if, if anyone sins, and if you do sin, he didn't say when, but he said if, and if anyone sins, wait a minute, we have an advocate with the father, a divine lawyer, a divine person, Jesus, who who, who represents our case. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus, he pleads our case. An advocate is one who pleads your case. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, look at what it says. How can he plead our case? How can he speak on our behalf? Look at what it says. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Go on to verse 2. And he himself, this is why he can plead your case. He said, now, little children, I'm writing to you all of this. I don't want you to sin I know you're saved, but I'm telling you, and I know that God changed you and that you're not running to sin, you're running from it, but sometimes you sin. He said, uh, but let me tell you, if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, how can he plead our case? Here it is. He himself is a propitiation. He himself is the mercy seat. He himself is a substitute. For he himself is the propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world, so I sin, I agree with God, it is a sin, I confess it, but the devil says, "You sinned, you, you, you can't get right with God. you'll never get over that. But Jesus pleads our case. He says, "Oh no, oh no, I paid that for that sin in full. I nailed it to the cross, and if i if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. So we have one who pleads our case. Now, there are a lot of people who never grow up spiritually because they don't understand how serious it is for a Christian to have unconfessed sin in their life. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, hello, who said they were? Well, that's just who I am. Well, if you're saved, that's not who you are. So, there's no way a Christian can justify sinning. No way. Well, that's my personality. No, you became a new creation when Christ came to live in you. So, if you're going to grow into spiritual maturity, you have to learn to deal thoroughly with your sin. What the Holy Spirit calls sin, you agree with him. And you repent and say, God, I know Jesus died for that. He paid it in full. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood. And, Lord, I choose not to do that again. I choose not to walk there again. I, ch- I don't want that to be a part of my life. There's, there's true repentance, true repentance. And it means that you really don't want to be that and do that because you're a child of God. L- let me uh, explain this to you. There's three ways it goes. There's conviction. All right. So you're convicted of something. And then after conviction, if you agree with it, there comes confession. I agree with you, Lord. That's a a sin. Conviction leads to you. You see it of the sin. You confess it. And then there's cleansing. Or there's conviction. And then there's rebellion. You don't agree with God. You go on your way. And then... There is uh, not only rebellion, but you are backslidden. You're backslidden. You're out of fellowship. You're out of fellowship. It troubles me that I know people who I greatly love and respect, who at one time walked with God in an unusual way, but then they got sin in their life. And brothers and sisters who loved them rebuked them and confronted them and told them to repent that it was a sin. And they refused. They said, no, it is not a sin. This is what God has shown me. Well, they have come up, concocted some crazy idea or story to justify their sin. And they keep on living in it. Well, one of two things is wrong here. One of two things. One, they've never been saved. Or if they have been saved, then God's going to chasten them and correct them. And if they refuse, he eventually could kill them. It's called a sin unto death. And so you've got to understand that to grow up spiritually, to grow up spiritually, you have to know how to walk in fellowship with God. You just have to know how how to stay in fellowship. And the way you, trials cannot break your fellowship. Heartbreak cannot break your fellowship. Disappointment cannot break your fellowship. Discouragement cannot break your fellowship. Only sin can break your fellowship with a holy and righteous, the holy and righteous God. And for that reason, we cannot walk around with unconfessed sin in our life. And God forbid that you would get to the place that you would justify your sin then you are in serious trouble. Because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Well, uh, let me say this. About this matter of uh, conviction, cleansing, and um, conviction, confession, and cleansing, or conviction, rebellion, and backsliding, all right? Let me say this, and I'm not going to get, this, I'm not going to get beyond this first point, so I'll, I'll leave the next two to the next time. Anytime God convicts a person of their sin, he's very specific. Somebody says, well, I'm, I'm discouraged. Why? I'm, I'm not in fellowship with God. I mean, I don't feel God's presence. Well, why? Because I've got sin in my life. I said, well, what is it? I don't know, but it's just this just, just general feeling. I, I just feel condemned. I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me that you've got sin in your life and God won't tell you what it is? Come on. Let me tell you something. When you sin, you sin specifically. And you know what it is. When God convicts you, he convicts you specifically. And you don't have to wonder, well, what's wrong? You don't have to wonder. You know. The Holy Spirit will show you. And you confess it. You agree with God it's a sin. And you keep on going. And walking in the light with Jesus. So if you've got a general feeling, well, I just feel guilty all the time. And I feel condemned all the time. And I'm never good enough all the time. And I'm never righteous enough all the time. Now, if you're saved, what you've got a spirit of condemnation that's convicting you. Well, you don't pray enough. And you don't read your Bible enough. Well, how much is enough? It's never enough for the devil. He loves to beat you up. So remember this about conviction. It is specific. God says, this is your sin. You agree with him, repent, and are forgiven. Now, there, one other thing I've got to tell you. There are two kinds of response to sin. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance that leads unto salvation. Then there's a worldly sorrow that leads unto death. And I want to show you where that is. It's over in, in Corinthians. Uh, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. Now, worldly sorrow happens a lot of times in lost people who are, they're not sorry that they sinned against God. They're sorry that they got caught. They're not sorry that their sin is against God and hurt people. They're sorry for the consequences that they're now facing for their sin it's called a worldly sorrow, and they they're going to get over the worldly sorrow and go right back to it listen I, I've talked to people and, 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 and they admitted that they had sinned and they admitted their guilt and and, and and but I knew I knew that they didn't have any broken spirit about sinning against God, they didn't have any sense that I violated a holy God that loved me uh, they didn't have, they, they were just sorry for the consequences, and sorry for what it cost them. It was all still selfish. It's called worldly sorrow, and the Bible says it leads to death. I've seen it over and over again, and it never lasts. Worldly sorrow never lasts. You get over it real quick. Go right back. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. I mean, as we put it out of your life. Look at verse 9. Now rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow over your sin led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Oh, I love the way David prayed in Psalm 51. Nathan had confronted him with his sin of adultery against Bathsheba, and he started out praying in Psalm 51. Uh, He said, um, I, I know what verse I want to get to. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Have mercy upon me, O God, uh, uh, according to your loving kindness. And then he then he goes on and says in Psalm 51, you need to read it when you get home. He says, "I acknowledge my transgressions. I agree with you, God. It was a sin for me to commit adultery with Bathsheba. It was a sin." For me to send Uriah to the front of the battle and pull the troop backs and him get killed, I agree with your sin. And then he says, "Against you, have mercy, O God, upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness." I acknowledge my transgressions, I, and they are my sin is ever before me. And then he says, "Against you, God, against you, and you only." Have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be justified when you speak and when you judge? I said, David, time out. You sinned against Bathsheba. She was married to Uriah. David, you sinned against Uriah. You sent him to the front of the battle, pulled back the troops, and he got killed. You sinned against. David said, You don't understand. That's not the issue. The issue is. I sinned against God. And that's a godly sorrow because of what you did to God. That's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, not to be repented of. So, a person has godly sorrow? Praise God. But if it's a wor- sorrow of a world, they're just sorry for the consequences. It's still all about self then it's worldly sorrow, and it does not lead to life, and it leads to death. All right, so I want to wind it up by saying this. You have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now you're the children of God. Jesus took every one of your sins, nailed them to the cross. Past, present, and future, your sins are covered, and God remembers them no more. And you now are partakers of the righteousness of of Christ. Okay. So he says, children, I don't want you to sin. You don't have to sin, but if you do, Jesus will plead your case. He paid your debt in full. Your debt is paid. But he said, now you, you've got to confess. You've got to agree with God that that was a sin. You've got to agree with him. And if you don't agree with God, then you know, there's not going to be, you're going to be out of fellowship. You're going to be out of fellowship. Because your fellowship is broken because that sin. You did not agree with God. It was a sin. And remember this. You, you, you ask God to give you a godly sorrow that you sinned against him. And then you remember this. God doesn't convict you in general. He convicts you specifically. You never have to wonder what it is that's on God's heart and what God puts his finger on. But let me tell you this. And I want to close with this. You never confess the sin any further than it's known. Did you know that? Some people sin and think they got to confess it to the whole world. Let me ask you a question. If, uh, If only you and God know about the sin, then that's the only person you need to deal with it about. You get it right with God and you move on. But if somebody else knows about it and somebody else was involved or hurt, of course, not only do you ask God's forgiveness, But you let them know that you've repented and God has forgiven you and you get it right with them. But you don't have to go tell the whole world. You see, you never confess the sin any further than it's gone. What good would it do if you committed a sin and God's forgiven you and and, and nobody knows about it but you and two others and you made it right with them? What good would it do for you to stand up and tell the whole church, well, I tell you what I did. That doesn't bless them. That doesn't edify them. No. It just puts that in their mind. And every time you see you, that's what they think of. Oh, no. I, I tell you, I've seen people do not listen to my counsel sometimes. I am not smart, but I do know that, listen, <laughs> people feel guilty about their sin. Well, I've got to go confess it to them. Do they know it? No. Well, Then why you got to go break their heart? Why do you got to tell them all about it? Well, I don't know. I said, you pay for it the rest of your life. They may forgive you, but they'll never forget it. You say, I don't know if I agree with that, Brother Fred. I'm sorry, but I tell you, I've seen too many people just mess up by feeling like, but see, they still got a sense of guilt, and God's forgiveness is not enough, so they got to let everybody know about it, and all they're doing is unloading their guilt. Forget it. If you're forgiven, your guilt is gone. Now, some of you don't like that, but I'm, that's okay. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm all right with that. But I believe it's right. So, and I'm the pastor, and that's what I'm going to preach. <laughs> oh, man. Can I close by saying this? My burden is if you are saved that you will, be, you will grow to be a mature, spiritually mature child of God whose life reveals the Lord Jesus Christ.